Father in heaven, thank you for your word, which is alive and active. May it find entrance in our hearts today. And we pray for Neil as he delivers what you've put in his heart, that he will be filled with your Holy Spirit. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all again. Great to be with you again. First time I've spoken in quite a while, and the last time I'll speak for quite a while as well, because in this series that we're doing of eight messages, I'm only doing two of them, and I'm not doing another one for quite a while. So we are starting, in case you haven't noticed, a new series on the book of 1 Samuel. And it's going to be a whistle-stop tour. Uh, We are not going to cover all 31 chapters and every event of the 31 chapters of this book. Um, And it's a great book. We have uh, many much-loved stories. We've got the statue of Dagon, the idol of Dagon, uh, falling before the Ark of the Covenant. We've got David and Goliath. We even have a trip Uh, and Bola will be preaching on this, to Adullam's cave. Um, But as I say, we've only got eight messages on 31 chapters, and um, so we are not covering all of it. Some people pray for Natalie. In two weeks' time, Natalie has been given the theme of the rise and fall of King Saul, and there's like six chapters worth of uh, scripture for her to decide what she's going to speak on and what she's going to share with us. Other people, like uh, Nick and Pete, have just got a few verses. Um, So some people have got uh, an easier job than others, uh, but all of them, I know, are going to serve us so well. I really want to encourage you as well, because we're not going to cover all of it, and because this book covers such a pivotal moment in the history of the people of Israel, to please, please read along at home. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to speak on chapters 1, 2, and 3 this morning. I'm, I'm barely going to scratch the surface of it, and I'd love you to go away and read it, and perhaps I'll try and tell you which chapters we're going to be speaking through each week so that you can try and keep up with it. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, which I have to confess I have stopped doing, um, having called you all to do it last December, you will have read this a couple of months ago. Um, It's not that I've stopped reading the Bible, I've just uh, stopped with that reading plan. Um, So please do. I I love 1 and 2 Samuel, but we're not doing this because I love it. We're doing this because it it's the kind of the next step in the redemptive history of God's people. We looked at the book of Judges a few months ago, and this, this book kind of follows on from that. And in fact, the chapters that I'm looking at today coincide with the events that we looked at at the end of Judges. So whilst Samson was doing his thing in Dan, we've got Samuel and Eli in Shiloh. So we've got kind of two things running alongside one another at the moment. We spoke about Samson a while ago, but this is going on here at the same time. My, my laptop, the battery life on my laptop is so bad now that I'm using paper again and I'm not used to double-sided paper and whatnot, so forgive me. Right. So, you may well remember the catchphrase from the book of Judges, or the two catchphrases from the book of Judges. One was that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as they pleased. And the other, and we read this every time we looked at a new judge, didn't we? 
the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And so we've got this. This is, this is still the context that we're looking into today. But what we see throughout Scripture, uh, whether it's in the book of Judges or whether it's in the book of Ezra that we looked at a few years ago, is that, or a couple of years ago now, God always keeps a faithful remnant of his people and he continues to work. He continues to stay true to his, um, to his covenant promises to us. Where am, I really am struggling with two bits of paper. This is... Right. <laughs> where am I? There's words here and there's words here. Right. Though that can go. That one's done. Right, so, yeah, let me, I'm not going to start again, I'm going to continue because I found where I am. I do not always entitle the sermons that I share with you, but today I have because I, I really am barely going to scratch the surface of three chapters of this book and I want you to go away with a phrase that kind of encapsulates what I think we can pull from this. So the title of today's sermon is Trusting Enough to Lament, Humble Enough to Listen, Loving Enough to Rebuke. Okay, if you, if you take anything away from this sermon today, just take that phrase and then go and read 1, 2 and 3 of 1 Samuel and you'll be okay. Truly, each of these phrases could be a sermon in its own right. They really could. Um, but we are not a church that spends two years going through one book a few verses at a time. So you're going to have to put up with me doing this. So I'm going to tell a bit of the story now. So we start 1 Samuel with a total nobody. We start with a guy called Elkanah. We, we read his genealogy and we don't know any of the people in it. He's a no one. He's clearly an important someone because he's got two wives, so he must have been a man of means. And he had two wives. One was called Penina and the other was called Hannah. Hannah, you may well know about. She is a very famous woman in Scripture. And Penina has lots of children. Hannah has none. We've seen this before, haven't we, in Scripture? Barren women, women who haven't yet born children. It's a recurring theme. God bringing life from seemingly hopeless situations, a womb that seems incapable of bringing forth life, is going to give birth to new hope, to fresh promise. It's something that we are familiar with. And we read this in 1 Samuel Verse 3 and onwards says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Alkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, He gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke Hannah. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. 
And this brings me to the first phrase of today's sermon title. Hannah, I think, is a great example to us. I think that she is an important example to us today. Hannah trusted God enough to pour out her soul before God, to trust him with her hurt. And it must have really hurt. Panina had, when, when they went to sacrifice, Elkanah gave Panina and all her sons and daughters, and those of you who have seen families, it takes a long time to have all those sons and daughters. This is a lot of years that Hannah has gone to sacrifice with Elkanah and with the family. She has been broken by this again and again. And rather than what we often do in these situations, which is we harden our hearts because it's too painful to allow ourselves to feel this pain, she poured out her soul before God. She allowed herself to fully feel the pain that she felt and she trusted God. I think it's so important for us to hear this in this day and age because much of the teaching that we listen to on the internet or read in books will tell us that when we're faced with difficulties, when we're faced with challenges, when we don't like what's going on, that instantly and without question, we're to go, this is not God's lot for me, I reject this, and we run away from it, or we try to solve it in our own strength. We rush to human solutions. We lean on our own power to, to cause these things that are troubling us to come to an end. And boy, in the West, do we have a lot of power to bring about change in situations when we don't like them. I think we miss a lot of growth in God. I think we miss a lot of reasons to rejoice because we don't let ourselves do what Hannah did. We don't let ourselves truly feel the pain of the painful situations we're in, and we don't truly trust God with them. Hannah did, and she bore a son. She bore Samuel. And as she prayed, and I didn't read, all of the prayer, I didn't read any of the prayer to you, she promised that if she would bear a son, that she would give him to the tabernacle, to the service of the tabernacle. He would be a Nazarite from birth, just like Samson, who we read about in the book of Judges. And remember, these two things are happening at the same time. So Hannah bore a son. She weaned him, and once he was weaned, she took him to the temple. And to Samuel for service in the tabernacle. When she prays this prayer, sorry, I didn't realize I was going to read it and I, I hadn't. She prays this Her son is born. Her years of distress are over. Her prayer has been answered. My horn exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock 
Like our God, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken uh, to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This prayer that Hannah's praying is prophesying what God is going to do. This prayer that she is praying is prophesying the king that is to come. Is prophesying God's faithfulness to this king who is to come. And I think Hannah's prayer is a great model to us if we are to let ourselves feel pain and to trust God because she starts by giving thanks for the thing that he's done. She starts with giving thanks for this child that has now been born to her. The pain that she experienced about this, it's gone. She has a son. She went on having given Samuel to the temple to go on to have three more sons and two more daughters. She had six children in the end. But she doesn't just stick with her prayer of thanks, she goes on to remember who God is. He is the God who raises the poor from the dust and the needy from the ash heap. Of course he was going to answer her prayer. Of course this situation was going to come to an end eventually because he is the one who lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the ash heap. Her mourning would not last forever. And then she goes on to, uh, to prophesy the full and final revelation that God would bring about. That Jesus, the King, would come. That he would perfectly deal with all of these situations. That one day there will be, uh, we will be with him and he will be with us. There will be no more death or sickness or crying or pain. But in this life, we do face trials of many kinds. In this life, we know there will be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. We know that we sow in tears, but we reap in joy. And I truly believe that in nations like ours, no, I don't want pain in the night. No, I don't want to sow in tears. I just want the joy in the morning. I just want the reaping with joy. We can't have one without the other. And so many of us, We run from the problems that we face because we won't allow ourselves to feel the pain of the situations we're in and to trust God with them. In order to move on to the final two points of today's sermon title, I need to tell a bit more of the story. Eli was an old man. He was uh, was the last judge. He was the last judge. He, He outlived Samson. And, uh, and he was a priest and a judge in Shiloh. Remember the book of Judges, they were kind of tribal leaders. They weren't leading the whole people of Israel. They were tribal leaders all over Israel with the different tribes of Israel. And Samson was in Dan uh, and, and Eli was in Shiloh. Eli had two sons. And chapter 2 verses 12 tells us that they were worthless men and that they did not know the Lord. Eli's sons abused the offerings of the people uh, as they gave them to the tabernacle and they sexually abused the women who worked at the tabernacle. And everyone knew it. 
Eli even knew it. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to Israel, but he didn't do anything, at least not anything decisive. He rebukes them privately, but Eli knew what he should have done. Eli had read the scroll of Leviticus. He knew that they should be barred from ever ministering before the Lord and for his people ever again, but he honoured them above God. He protected them rather than honouring God. And God saw and God acted even when Eli failed to. God sent a prophet to Eli. The prophet isn't named, he's just referred to as the man of God. And the man of God prophesied over Eli and over his whole household. He begins by remembering uh, Sorry, by reminding Eli of God's faithfulness and goodness to the people of Israel and to the Levites who um, Eli was one of. And then this man prophesies to Eli and says, Why then, given God's faithfulness, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honour your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. So Eli obviously ate of the food that they, uh, that they spurned the Lord with by taking. I promised that your father, Eli, should go in and out before me, your father's, that is. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honour me I will honour, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be stowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, in and, uh, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever." God has, has told Eli what's going to happen. Look, because, of, because you failed to rebuke your sons and because of their evil, you, your family will no longer minister before me. You will be cut off. God is going to raise up a true priest, a sure priest, and he will make him stand. He will make him stand before his anointed forever. We, like the sons of Eli, do sin. And although we are covered by the blood of Jesus, we're new creations, there's no more condemnation, our sins do have consequences here and now. Our sins affect our relationships with one another. They cause us to hear God less clearly, even though he is speaking clearly still. And we're called to love one another, to bring rebukes to one another. In love... And in a spirit of gentleness, we are instructed to do this. Do you know, Corinne Jubilee, I don't think we do this very much. And when we do it, I don't think we do it very well. And I think that's as much the fault of the people who bring rebukes as it is the people who receive them. We're often not prompted by love. We're often just wanting to inflict wounds, though we would never admit that. And we're too easily offended. 
So when people who might be coming to us with something that, look, I want you, I want to draw something to your attention. I've seen that you do this a lot. You say this sort of thing a lot. Do you know, I think there is something better for you. There is something better for us. And if, if we are seeking people's good, if we are prompted by love, then we should be able to receive a rebuke. We should be able to put God above our affection for one another, that we would risk an offence just so that God would be glorified. So we must work harder to consider how we can bring rebukes well so that we can challenge people in love and in a spirit of gentleness. But we also need to prepare ourselves to receive rebukes well, to not be offended, but to trust that our brother or sister loves us and wants the best for us. Eli's problem wasn't that he loved his sons, it was that he loved his sons more than he loved God. And so often we see, don't we, that it's not just loving the wrong things that causes us to stumble, it's having wrongly ordered loves that causes us to stumble. And this is what happens with Eli. God wants to be our first love, and he is worthy of being our first love. That doesn't mean that we can't love others, but it means that pleasing him is our first priority. We must let our love for God govern every area of our lives, and we must order every area of our lives in a way that glorifies him. And if it feels like that, I'm, I'm laying a legalistic burden on you. There is encouragement in today's passage for us. And I want to uh, read this to you. The encouragement is found in the life of Samuel, because Samuel walked faithfully with God. Samuel was humble enough to listen. Samuel was loving enough to bring a rebuke. And in 1 Samuel 2.26, we read that the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favour with the Lord and also with man. And later on it says again, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Samuel served and walked faithfully with God. And it led to something interesting. Interesting to me, at least. He grew in stature and in favour with the Lord. And he was established. He wasn't loved anymore, but God's favour rested on him more. He didn't perpetually remain a young man full of promise. He was established as a prophet of the Lord. John 4:14, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and of the water that she drew, Jesus said, everyone who drinks of that water from that well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that he will give that Jesus will give, will never be thirsty again, and that that water will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
I've said already that I think we miss out on opportunities for growth in God and to become more mature as believers, because that, that is the aim of our faith, isn't it? Is, is, is maturity and unity. That's why God gave the Ephesians 4 giftings to the church, so that we would grow in maturity and unity. We haven't made it yet. None of us, not me, not you, none of us have made it yet. We are not so mature as we think. We're not so united as we think. But the aim of God is that we would be mature and united. I I truly believe that we can see more than we are now the favor of God resting on us more and we can see the establishing of God in our lives more and more. I, I don't know about you, but I dream a lot, like, like daydream stuff, you know, not, not just night, you know, dreams in the night. I dream a lot. I, I wonder about how this situation in my life can go if, if, if God was glorified and if God's way was done. This is how this would go in my marriage. This is how this would go in my parenting. This is how this would go in the church. This is how this would go when I walk the dog or when I go to the gym. I dream all the time. Those dreams don't always come to fruition, but I love to dream. I love to think about what would it look like in this situation for the God who made the heavens and the earth to have his way? What would it look like in a broken world for the good to happen and for the breakthrough to come and for the victory to be seen? I wonder if you dream like that. Do you know, I dream like that for us. I dream, about, I dream about us, as I say, being mature, being united. I, I, I have, to, well, no, yeah, I have to apologize. I dream about that more than I dream about programs. I am more excited about a depth of godly Christian character being demonstrated among us than I am about this program being realized or this vision being shaped. That is what God looks at. That is what God looks at. We've got two things happening here at the same time. Samson doing something massive and showy in Dan. uh, uh, The silent prayer of a barren woman and the promise of a young boy who faithfully serves and becomes established. Those two things are happening at the same time. And it's here. It's here that God is at work. It's here that God is doing the new thing. Not in the big showy thing where more Philistines were killed than in any previous battle as Samson pushes down the pillars. It's not in the showy thing. It's in the silent prayer of the barren woman and it's in the faithful service of a young man who becomes established and brings in the kings that will rule over a united kingdom and that will prefigure the king of kings that is Jesus. I'm going to pray. It would be good to sing another song. And I will join the band as soon as I can. Usually, I pray from the hip. But I've written a prayer to read today. So I know exactly how long I'm going to be. (laughs) Ben, shall we come up? Because I will join you super quickly. Can I encourage you to stand? I I wasn't able to perfectly hear from behind the drums what Nick and what Alan prayed, but I think that God's been...